0: Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today we're talking with Dr. Juan Gonzalez of Hamilton Physician Group in Dalton. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Gonzalez.
1: Thank you. Thank you so so much for having me.
0: I'm glad you're here. Dr. Gonzalez is a board-certified neurologist at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology inside the Medical Plaza across from Hamilton Medical Center. Dr. Gonzalez attended medical school at the University of Texas, his internship at University of Texas Health Science Center, his residency in neurology at Doroth Hitchcock Medical Center and his fellowship in neurology at Duke University School of Medicine. He and Dr. Ashish Kabir diagnose, treat, and manage issues related to the brain, spinal cord, nerves, and muscles. They specialize in the care and treatment of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, seizure disorders, migraines. Carpal tunnel syndrome and strokes. Dr. Gonzalez, why did you choose to become
1: a neurologist? Yes, well, this is uh, an ever growing branch of medicine. And uh, just being able to uh, learn the networking of the brain and the capacity of the mind, I mean, it takes a lifetime. So it's just uh, humbling and exciting to be in a discipline that has so many people before me and hopefully way more people after me.
0: Well, I got to tell you, of all the things in the medical field, working with the brain, that has got to be so complicated and tough and learning new things all the time.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. We have really great uh, supporting staff. And, and as you know, Dr. Kabir, who works with me, is quite a great help in dealing with these types of diseases. Now,
0: how long have you been at Hamilton?
1: i um, on my ninth year, and I hear a rumor that after 10 years you get either a clock or a lamp. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well, going for the clock.
0: I was going to say, which would you rather have, the clock or
1: the lamp, when you're going for the clock? Well, I don't know. Let's, let's leave it to the uh, listeners. You know, call in if you want clock or lamp.
0: <laughs> you know. I love that. I know you don't have much spare time. What do you like to do in your spare time?
1: Well, uh, before the pandemic, we used to have a pretty nice basketball group at Bradley, Currently, I'm just uh, wrestling with my two sons, and I have a losing record.
0: Oh, do you? (laughs) Now, how old are your boys?
1: Uh, They're two and four.
0: Two and four. I can understand how you can have a losing record with a two and a four-year-old. Good things to hear. Great to hear about your kids. Today, we're going to be talking about Parkinson's disease. You know... What exactly is Parkinson's disease? You hear it a lot. What is that?
1: First of all, to understand Parkinson's, uh, you have to realize that it is a brain disease. So it's going to affect both your body and your mind. So it's a dementia because you have progressive loss of brain that affects your thinking. And it's also a movement disorder. Again, the progressive loss of brain causes you to have um, deficits in the way that, that you move. Mm -hmm. And again, as I mentioned, it's it's a progressive loss of brain, and uh, the main neurons or the main brain cells that are affected produce dopamine, which allows for movement, and also produce norepinephrine, which allows for areas in your body that work without you thinking, such as your GI tract, your salivation, your vital signs. So it's a very overwhelming disease encompassing the functions that you have will for and the and the functions that you have no control over.
0: Well, One of the functions you have no control over, you mentioned GI tract, and I'm thinking of breathing and things like that. Do you have to think to do those things? No, when it. Uh, I mean, when if you have Parkinson's disease, or do you just are you not able to do those things?
1: Well, yeah, th- those things are compromised. If we take the uh, the GI. Unfortunately, a lot of people with Parkinson's tend to have a lot of nausea and decrease appetite because the churning of the gut slows down. Sometimes it even stops. So with just a few bites, they feel bloated and they cannot eat. When it comes to the breathing, you see it more during sleep. Um, 90% of people with Parkinson's have sleep apnea, meaning that when they fall asleep, their brain is unable to control their lungs. So they are oxygen deprived whenever they fall asleep.
0: Mm. Okay. I understand. Now, I have sleep apnea, and I have a, a sleep apnea machine. Is that what you prescribe to people who have sleep apnea with Parkinson's disease?
1: Yes, yes. There are two types of sleep apnea. The, the one associated with Parkinson's is called central sleep apnea, which is the brain not working when you sleep, you know, to inflate your lungs. Mm-hmm. And the one that young people like yourself may have is the obstructive sleep apnea, That's which what means I that have. the muscles in your throat uh, collapse
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about Parkinson's disease on Health for Life. Be right back.
2: If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. Today, we're here with Dr. Gonzalez of Hamilton Physician Group Neurology. We're talking about Parkinson's disease. Dr. Gonzalez, are there certain risk factors for this disease that our listeners should be looking for?
1: Well, uh, the disease is not uh, fully understood. We still don't know exactly exactly what leads to Parkinson's, so we don't have a way to gauge all of the main risk factors. But this disease normally presents in your sixth and seventh decade of life. Uh, About 10 to 15% of the cases can present earlier on, uh, around the fourth or fifth decade of life. The symptoms for Parkinson's are also kind of subtle. So, uh, so the symptoms are difficult to to uh, address as the beginning of Parkinson's. We know that initially people lose their sense of smell. I- initially, they have loss of uh, strength uh, in their voice, and initially their handwriting uh, becomes smaller than than it should be. Uh, but again, these are you know symptoms that we don't pay too much attention. There is a genetic component for Parkinson's, but those cases are, are the most are rare. Uh, most of the Parkinson's cases are sporadic and again the main risk factor that we have is is age and possibly family history but they're not well defined.
0: Well now these are things that we would look for are is there a a, a cause is there something that causes Parkinson's disease? There's have have you been able to find out why people get that disease?
1: No we we have not I I know there's uh an, an ex, this is an exciting field of medicine to find out what leads to the triggering of the cells in the brain to essentially die and lose brain matter and uh, uh, this will be the key for all the dementias to figure out what what triggers these cells to uh, uh, disintegrate. But at this point, we don't have an actual source, something that we can pinpoint as this is the the Parkinson's root.
0: Is there different types of Parkinson's disease?
1: Yes, the the uh, most common type, uh, we call the idiopathic Parkinson's. Idiopathic meaning that uh, we don't have a source, it's just sporadic. This is the classic Parkinson's that we see. 80% of, of people with Parkinson's have this condition. Then we have Parkinsonism syndromes, and these are um, diseases that have Parkinson's plus other things associated with it, such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, dementia, or Parkinson's and multiple uh, system atrophy. Uh, These are other diseases that are complicated that not only have Parkinson's as, as a presentation, but also other more serious brain dysfunctions.
0: Someone who, Feels like they may be suffering from Parkinson's disease. That's listening to this. Uh, maybe they have tremors. They have shaking in their hands. Um, if they came to visit you, are there tests that you can do to decide whether or not it is Parkinson's disease or something else?
1: Yes, yes, we do. We do have uh, testing. The main assessment when uh, when we assess Parkinson's is just doing a physical exam, see how they move. There is a very particular way in which people with Parkinson's walk called the Parkinsonian gait, where they are hunched over, uh, they don't swing their arms, and their hands usually shake, and they have, they have this stuttering step, and obviously they don't have great balance. Uh, that's the main way to assess uh, for uh, Parkinson's. When we're assessing between a tremor and Parkinson's, we actually have a brain scan available at Hamilton called a DAT scan. What we know about Parkinson's is that a substance in the brain called dopamine is missing or is deprived because those cells die. So this uh, scan that we have at, at Hamilton can assess whether somebody has sufficient or insufficient dopamine in the brain. And this is allowing us to diagnose Parkinson's early on. Uh, so even a, a slight tremor, or uh, tremor, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. can be a, a qualifying symptom to get this test and either start treating you or giving you peace of mind that, that you don't have this disease.
0: Well, now, when you were talking a moment ago about the dopamine and the, the cells, is it the cells that produce that dopamine that you're short?
1: Well, the cells that produce the dopamine and also the cells that interact with the dopamine, both types of cells, you know, they die off. So you have a net loss of dopamine retention. You don't make it and you don't use it.
0: I got you. Now, what about balance? Is Does balance play a factor in, in uh, Parkinson's disease?
1: Yeah, balance is one of the main symptoms, including also the stiffness of the body and the slowing of the body. And um, the the way that we see the balance in Parkinson's is not only loss of balance when you're moving, but also loss of balance when you're standing or sitting. We call this retropulsion, where you feel that you're being pulled back. So if you're sitting in a chair or just standing, you feel that your shoulders are being dragged down into the floor from the back. Uh, That's why they normally have this hunch over position so that they can avoid falling backwards. So that's that's how you can distinguish loss of balance from other causes versus Parkinson's. That is not only the loss of balance when you move, but also your postural balance, loss of balance when you're just standing or sitting.
0: Very interesting. I'm learning so much. I had no idea. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Parkinson's disease is diagnosed. We'll be right back on Health for Life.
2: If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. We're talking with Dr. Gonzalez of Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, and we're talking about Parkinson's disease. Dr. Gonzalez, how is this disease diagnosed? In the last segment, we talked a little bit about that, and you said there are some tests that you can take, but what are some of the the factors that go into the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease?
1: First of all, what I want to let people know is that Hamilton has the testing necessary to do early diagnosis for Parkinson's. And the first step is for the patient to reach out to us. Sometimes you don't want to face what may be ahead of you. We see a lot of people that notice that when they stand up and they walk around, uh, they have to hold on to furniture or hold on to the walls and they think it's a back issue or knee pain. Mm-hmm. Or they notice that when they fill out paperwork or they sign their checks, that it's difficult for them to move their hand and they just think it's it's old age so I, I just want to encourage people to to reach out to our neurology department reach out to hamilton to to do the proper testing
0: now like, let's let's stop here for just a moment. You say some people think it might be old age at what age? should people start looking for Parkinson's disease symptoms?
1: As early as, as your early uh, 50s. Again, most of the Parkinson's is diagnosed between the their 60s and 70s, but by that time, the disease is, has already settled in. So if you're in your 50s and you realize that your handwriting has changed, and that shouldn't be the case. You ha- once you master your handwriting, I mean, that is just like your fingerprint. I mean, that is just who you are, so it shouldn't change.
0: You're talking about your signature.
1: Yeah, your signature or just your print. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that shouldn't change with, with age. Or if you're noticing that you're having a uh, struggle doing basic things like zippers, buttons, putting a key in a lock, you know, all, all these fine movement things that are, are requiring extra time or extra effort those could be signs of a, of a movement disorder such as Parkinson's.
0: Well, the earlier that you're able to find out if a patient has this, there are things that can slow it down. Is that correct?
1: Yes, definitely. We want to do early diagnosis. Uh, you can start the treatment. The main treatment to slow down this disease is high-intensity repetitive physical therapy. If you think about how our body works, everything has rhythm. You have a heartbeat a respiratory rate, a walking cadence, and the initial loss of brain in Parkinson's disrupts your rhythm. So if you can stimulate your brain to keep rhythm, then you can make the brain more resistant to the changes of Parkinson's. And again, Hamilton has Bradley Wellness Center that offers that specific therapy for people with Parkinson's to understand what it takes to stimulate your brain with enough rhythm-based activity to alleviate or slow down the changes of Parkinson's.
0: Are there other types of treatments available?
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, Like I said, the the main therapy is is physical therapy. The more active you are, the better you will be. Idleness and isolation will worsen Parkinson's tremendously. Since you lose dopamine in the brain, there are medications to replenish some of the dopamine, but the dopamine treatment is only symptomatic. The scope of treatment of of these types of medication is to make you less stiff. It doesn't slow down the disease. Uh, It doesn't work with your balance. It doesn't work with, with other autonomic dysfunctions from the disease. It's just to make you less stiff. There is medications that are just straight up dopamine or medications that prevent the breakdown of the dopamine so that it can last longer in your brain.
0: Uh, when you talk about dopamine, have I heard dopamine, have I heard that uh, in r- relation to moods, to uh, people with uh, maybe depression?
1: Yes, uh, dopamine is neurotransmitter, meaning that it's only made in the brain and is mainly used by, by the brain. And dopamine has a lot of functions. Some of the symptoms from Parkinson's can be associated with the lack of dopamine. So dopamine facilitates movement. So if you don't have enough dopamine, you have rigidity. Dopamine also facilitates mood. So if you don't have dopamine, you have a uh, either a stoic affect where you don't show emotions, Or you have depression or you have a wide spectrum of uh, mood. You can be manic at some point and and you can be hopeless at another point. The dopamine helps balance the, uh, the emotion. Dopamine is also released when you're trying to fall asleep so that you have less sensation in your body. So people without dopamine that they are trying to fall asleep, people with Parkinson's, they have something called restless legs. They feel every single inch of their legs and it's very uncomfortable and they cannot fall asleep because they don't have enough dopamine release with sleep.
0: Now, I have heard of medicine for restless leg. Is that the same as restless leg syndrome? Uh,
1: Yes. I've
0: heard of medicines for that.
1: The most common uh, medications for restless leg syndrome are Parkinson's medications. That is
0: very interesting. I'm learning so much today. Got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about this disease and its treatment, the treatments that are available. Be right back on Health for Life.
2: Join us on a journey to better health health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at hamiltonhealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System. For
0: life. Welcome back to Health for Life. Today we're talking with Dr. Gonzalez of Hamilton Physician Group Neurology. We've been talking about Parkinson's disease. Dr. Gonzalez, is this disease a common disease?
1: Yeah, unfortunately it's becoming more common. I think about, you know, 600,000 people get diagnosed. Now like, is this
0: in the United States yeah, or worldwide? In the United
1: States. Okay, yeah. wow. So uh, uh, we do have a large population population. But, uh, yeah, we, we're seeing increased numbers in, uh, of Parkinson's disease. That, that may be because we have the ability now to diagnose it earlier or uh, we're looking for it more, you know, uh, and there's more access to, uh, to come to a doctor, you know.
0: Now, I've heard that there's different stages of Parkinson's disease. Is there, is there any truth to that? There are different stages?
1: Yes, and the stages are pretty basic. We go mild, moderate, and severe. The mild stage is when uh, people can still be independent and go uh, and and still deal with their own lives. They don't require any any supervision. Uh, they may have to have extra effort to to get around and and to do cognitive tasks. The uh, moderate stage is when they're having great difficulty moving around, requiring a lot of um, dopamine medication, requiring a lot of physical therapy, and at that point they do require supervision or help. And the severe one is when they're basically completely dependent on others. They can do very few things, even feeding or dressing themselves is is a task that they cannot complete by themselves.
0: My goodness, I hate to hear that. Uh, the medication, the medication that you prescribe for a patient with Parkinson's disease, does uh, when they take the medication later in the day, does that sometimes wear off? And if it does, what happens?
1: This could give me a chance to talk about specifically the treatments that we have available okay. uh, at Hamilton. But, yeah, the medication does wear off. And the initial medication dosing is three times a day. And as the disease advances and they require more dopamine, I have some patients that even take it every three hours. So they have a very low chance of sleeping just because the restless legs, the the rigidity, the weakness, the pain is so overwhelming that they require a lot of those doses. Other treatments, uh, as we were going to mention, uh, again, the main ones are the physical therapy and specifically at Bradley Wellness, uh, we're offering BIG, B-I-G, which is a specific therapy designed for Parkinson's. We also have a SPIN class. They have trainers to specifically help those people with Parkinson's to get on and off the bike. Mm -hmm. When people are beyond uh, the help of medication, and they can still respond to physical therapy. There, there is surgery where you put in an electrode in the brain and you electrically stimulate parts of the brain to allow for better movement and decrease tremor. And once you have the implant, you just come to our clinic and uh, we program your uh, deep brain stimulator. There's also CBD oil, low THC oil. Mm-hmm. Without the dopamine, again, your your mood is unstable, and it seems like the CBD oil does provide uh, some therapy to calm people down. Before it was called Parkinson's, after Dr. Parkinson's, it was called paralysis agitans, meaning that when you were trying to move, you felt paralyzed, and when you were not moving, you felt agitated. And the CBD oil has been a, a, a great asset to uh, to treat the the part, the agitation, while you uh, remain static.
0: Now, the implant, the the brain implant. That, what do you tell me? What the name of that is again?
1: Oh, it's called deep brain stimulator.
0: Deep brain stimulator. Has that been around for a long time, or is that relatively new?
1: Uh, it's been around for close to 30 years. So, it is now uh, perfected pretty well. Uh, in fact, the way they do it now is the patient remains awake during the entire brain surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just do a couple of holes in the in the uh, cranium, and um, the uh, the electrode is very thin, and you can just slide it in the brain. There's there's no trauma to the actual brain tissue. So um, for a you know a lot of people that I recommend the deep brain stimulator, they are hesitant because it is uh, brain surgery. Well, but sure, you're talking anybody about,
0: would be. Yes.
1: Yeah, but you're talking about. Thirty years of refining uh, this procedure to the to the point that is becoming you know just a normal routine procedure for tremor and rigidity in Parkinson's.
0: Now, are there any new treatments that you see on the horizon?
1: Treating just dementia in general, with Parkinson's included, is is a fascinating field. Is if we are able to unlock what triggers the death of of a brain cell, there will be great progress in treating this, and we hear down the pipeline that uh, scientists are working on on medications that hopefully will allow for the brain to regenerate or for the brain to be resistant to the changes of this dementia. You know, every time they do, they introduce a new medication or a new procedure, it takes years to do a, a successful trial. But for all those people listening that may have a loved one with Parkinson's or they have Parkinson's, they're actively working on it. They're not taking a break on it. They're actively working on it.
0: Well, a lot of our listeners may have friends and loved ones with this disease. Now, what, what can they do to help?
1: Well, the two main things is that you need to keep their dignity and, and their safety. Uh, I cannot stress this enough. You can take over their finances to help them out. You can take over the household to make sure that things are clean and safe for them. We are getting older as a nation, and is one out of every four of us is a caretaker currently in this country. And there is a new condition called caretaker uh, fatigue, which is a physical and a neurological disease from the caretaker. So I also encourage those loved ones that are experiencing this caretaker fatigue, where they can no longer take care of the loved ones, to reach out to some of the places that that can do that, such as you know nursing homes like the ones that Hamilton has, or also mm-hmm. daycare centers for adults. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Likewise.
0: For more information or an appointment at Hamilton Physician Group Neurology, call 706-275-6121 or visit hamiltonhealth.com slash neurology. This program in no way seeks to diagnose or treat illness or to replace professional medical care. Please see your health care provider if you have a health problem. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Health System.